You are listening to episode 69 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. friends. Welcome back to the Take the Reins podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Porter, and I hope that you really enjoy this episode today. It's definitely going to be a different format than I've tried in the past, but in light of season two coming to a close, I wanted to really highlight some of my favorite moments throughout the show from the last nine months. Before we get into that, I want to just speak to you about a project that you probably have already heard about if you're listening to the show on a weekly basis, but I I wanted to elaborate a little on the book project that Nadine Smith, my business partner through Informed Equestrian and I, are in the process of creating. So did you know that your dream to be a published author is 100% realistic? Becoming a published author does not have to be expensive and lonely. Your story deserves to be told and read. And we're here to help your dreams come true while offering you support, guidance, and community. These are things that I know now, but when I first published in 2018, only two of these four facts were actually true for me. I just want to take a quick second to explain. I have to be honest, it took me two years to write my first book, which sometimes that doesn't seem like a lot when it comes to something like writing a book, but it is a lot when it's a year and a half longer than you anticipated it to be when you first commit to it. So I had it in my mind, it was going to take me a certain amount of time, and I blew by deadline after deadline after deadline in order to get my manuscript finally sent. That's really not the worst part. It cost me a lot of money to publish my first book, and it's about $5,000 more than I told my husband that I actually needed to spend. And I didn't say it because I was being dishonest. I said it because that was what I truly thought I needed to spend based on my calculations. Unfortunately, I made mistakes along the way, as we all do when we're first embarking on a new journey. And so one of those mistakes was that I actually signed up with a publisher that I didn't do enough research on. And I walked away from that contract and just left the money on the table because it wasn't worth the fight. And I had found a new self-publisher that I knew was going to work with my goals. So I just took that as a lesson that needed to be learned on my part. And again, 
Not quite the worst part yet. I also almost allowed my fear of judgment to stop me from hitting submit on my manuscript. So I didn't have a team really pushing me and believing in me when my inner critic started taking over and I started uh, probably more so less inner critic and more a case of imposter syndrome. But either way, I also, I shouldn't say that it was only myself. There were some comments along the way as I was starting to speak my truth about writing and wanting to write this book that caught me off guard and probably weren't coming from the nicest place. But now I I have a better understanding of why they were said to me. Oftentimes, you know, when people say things, when we're taking big leaps that sound like they're discouraging, it's probably more just an internal fear of their own and the words and the the story they would be telling themselves in order to really try to rationalize their own risk taking. So it's a lot easier to look back on it now and say, oh, well, this is why they said it. But in the moment, uh, it definitely made me half halt And at times it made me come to a full stop and really doubt myself and the steps that I was taking and the why behind it. And and the good thing is that my why was strong enough that it actually outweighed all of the doubt and it outweighed all of that internal world and struggle. And uh, so it was very important that I had a strong why. And the thing that I really wished I had was a larger support team. Now, this being said... I don't want to take away from the support that I had. So I had a supportive husband, I still do, but he wasn't the person I was going to. He was supportive in the sense that he understood what I was doing, but he wasn't sitting down with me at the supper table every night asking, you know, what my biggest fears are, how the progress was. And that was just our relationship through the process. And I'd had... Nadine, who is a very close friend of mine, and she was someone that I went to almost immediately, actually. I think she was my first reader, and I knew that if I had doubts, I could speak to her, and she was a driving force for me to actually hit publish on this. And then third, I did have the most incredible editor. Chelsea Thornton did an incredible job, and it was lovely working with her. But I couldn't help but think, what would happen if I had all of that support all along and that amount of support plus some? And that is where I really started to look at what would I have changed about my publishing journey and how could I create a more positive experience, not only the next time I write a book because I knew there would be a next time, but also how could I change that experience for other people? And that is where the collaborative book actually came from. So my publishing experience has pushed me to really look for a better way. And three things that I wanted to eliminate for my next book are fear, loneliness, and debt. Three things that I want to add to my next book are a supportive team, empowering others to take action, and a more reasonable investment. So this collaborative book project checks off all of those boxes plus more. The more Nadine and I work to bring this to life, the more excited I am about it, truly and honestly. The stories people have told me that they are willing to share within this book gives me goosebumps. 
and the potential impact is immeasurable. Okay, so why am I sharing this with you right now? I'm sharing it with you right now because if you have a story that's sitting on your heart and you know that you wouldn't be where you are or who you are right now without horses and you're feeling pulled to share that story and you know that you would value having that support system in place for you to be able to bring out the best story and also create a community at the same time, then you absolutely should send me an email. Nikki at NikkiPorter.ca. Applications are currently out. There's only limited spaces for this book. And I'm telling you, it is going to be, not only is the book going to be fantastic, but the process that we are creating for this book is going to be incredible. We're looking to make the process just as much fun as the end product and just as empowering and impactful. So I feel like it's kind of like when we're looking to like work with a horse and we're looking at the end result and saying, this is what I'd really like. But if the journey to get there is so daunting and so awful that you finally get there and you're just exhausted, then it's not, you don't get to enjoy that end result as much. And again, it's not really even about the end result. It is about the journey. So we really want to make that journey one that is positive and exciting and empowering. And that's what this book is all about. So if you're an equestrian with a story, email me and I will give you the details. I'll send you the application and I can't wait to hear from you. Okay, so enough about that for now. I'm going to get into the episode. I hope you enjoy this unique episode of Take the Reins. Our emotional triggers don't always show up as blatant negative responses or overreactions on our part. Sometimes our triggers show up as a little nagging feeling that feels like envy or you know that you should feel happy or joy for someone in a certain situation but instead you feel a little animosity or Um, discontentment due to their success or something, a story that they're sharing with you. So those are all things to keep an eye on. And my suggestion would be that this is a great opportunity to do some reflective journaling. It's an opportunity for you maybe in the evenings to be able to reflect on how you felt that day, where you felt you were triggered, why you felt you were triggered, and what did that trigger look like for you? How did you respond when you were emotionally activated at that time? How did it show up? Did it show up by you shutting down completely and stepping out of a conversation or stepping away from a situation altogether without dealing with something that needed to be dealt with? There are many ways that we respond 
that are not as productive as we would like them to be, but we're not quite sure how to change our behavior because we haven't gotten honest with ourselves enough to reflect and understand that we are in fact being triggered in those moments. And it isn't a matter of I am who I am, so this is what I do. It is a matter of this is what is happening and as a result, this is how I'm reacting or responding. And if I don't like that, how I'm responding or reacting, I have the ability to change it, but I cannot change how I respond or react without taking an honest look at it first. After observing and becoming conscious of your triggers is when you're at a place where you can help manage your response to them for more effective and fair communication in and out of the arena, both with your horses and in every other areas of communication in your life. Horses teach us the things that other people that don't have the privilege of working with horses don't necessarily get. And then we don't necessarily transfer that to the rest of our lives. Well, this is the thing. It's it's always very surprising um, when I do work with people who have their own horses that they are really good at caring for their horse and looking for things that might be making them reactive or different for the day and potentially adjusting their their own expectations and behavior accordingly but they don't treat themselves or other people in their lives in the same way mm-hmm. isn't that interesting mm. yeah oh. and and i'll say that part of the, the equine therapy that that i do is mm-hmm. A lot of it is you'll see someone behave in a certain way with a horse and you come back for a reflection and you go, is that something that you find happens a lot in, in your life with other with other people, with new relationships or, you know, mm-hmm. existing ones? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. And, and mm-hmm. it's a real feedback mechanism that mm-hmm. bypasses a lot of people mm-hmm. um, if it's not pointed out really, really clearly. Yeah. It's funny because I distinctly remember a conversation with a client slash friend. She was doing lessons with me and her husband was doing a lesson directly after with, so they had their two horses there and we were working through something and both of them, you could see them kind of like going back and forth as if to say like, whatever I was saying was happening with the horse that is how they're showing up within their marriage as well. Uh, And it was funny because their light bulbs were going off because they're really inseparable. Um, And I like to say like how we show up in one place is how we show up everywhere. And and I heard that from someone clearly that's not just from me, but it's, it's very true, especially when we dive a little deeper into our horsemanship. And I think with horses being, you know, so attuned to what we're really saying Mm. you know there's such instant feedback I mean if if you take nothing else from a session with a horse it's that they can be just a biofeedback machine that works like like that like which makes them the ultimate teacher an ultimate therapist for me yeah yeah I agree Dan, what had you so pumped about your conversation with me that night? Just because I think Mike's thought process and his philosophy fits perfect Mm -hmm. with what you're trying to get out there. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is I think Mike is very unique in the horse show trainer world. Mike's like, uh, my impression is like Mike really likes his horses and they're not a vehicle mm-hmm. to get a job done. Mm-hmm. And I think, don't you feel that way, Mike? Oops. Uh, Did we lose him? No, there he is. No, no, you got me. I'm having a hard time uh, talking because Dan, you're right. Yeah. You know, I've loved horses since I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, they've been, they've been awfully, awfully good to me, you know, over the years. So, yeah, well, that's the difference with Mike. Yeah. I was going to say spoken like a true horseman right there. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And the thing, the thing that I love about him is that he's, he's taken horses that, you know, we talk about, you know, deciphering a horse. I think the last time we talked about, it, I said, I enjoy getting them in now that are a little troubled mm-hmm. because you know, they're, they're like overstimulated by people's just lack of uh, awareness of, you know, how they're handling the horse even. Mm-hmm. Mike takes horses, has taken horses, and the proof is in the pudding because a lot of people can say, you know, do this, do that or whatever. But based on what is, is what he's doing successful, successful. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike takes horses, and I know he can give you a lot of examples mm-hmm. that were like, just wouldn't have made it period but he not only made them into great horses he went out and and like won like the biggest prize was in the event he was showing and at the time like i don't know like won the congress like eight times but not always with a horse that came out of the womb loping with their head down compliant right Right, mike yeah like that's right dan you know i've never i never had a client to give me a check an open check and say, go find me a horse. You know, they was all horses that, you know, were either sent to me or that I bought or, you know, that they were, I never catch road horses. I mean, I think I catch road a horse maybe one time in my life. All the horses that I shown, they were horses that I actually trained. Most of them from the very beginning. I just came from the barn and I had a situation. I was like, I wonder if this is going to come up with Caitlin. And it came up in the sense that you literally just explained everything I was feeling this morning. So I swung a leg over a little filly this morning and she's normally like super chill. And there was like, my husband was loping around me and I could just feel something boiling underneath me. And I was going like, what's going on? So I, I immediately hopped off and switched her saddle thinking, okay, maybe it's a saddle issue, switched her saddle, then um, walked off. And she like, she just let out this huge buck with me just standing next to her. So then I went, okay, next thing, I'm going to take the saddle right off. Maybe it's in the saddle pad. Maybe there's something bugging her because she was like, she's never, she's never like this. So took the saddle, saddle pad off and put her out on the circle and she just let all of this energy go. Like she had so much energy pooling in her feet. She had so much energy just like that she needed to get rid of. And it's funny. So I did groundwork with her and there was a point in the groundwork where her hips kind of slipped underneath her and she sunk down to the ground and got back up and shook her head and looked at me as if to say like, oh, okay, hi again. And she reconnected mentally. And then she, it was like a switch went off. She was beautiful. And then I tacked her back up, got back on. She was a completely different horse. And at that time I said to my husband, it's really interesting 
because she needed that moment where she needed something to happen to reconnect her to me. And she almost lost her own confidence when she like acted up and slipped and looked to me and said, oh, can you help me through this? And I said to him, had I not gotten off that situation, the thing that would have happened would have been probably me hitting the dirt instead mm -hmm. of me trusting I needed to not be on her back in that moment when she was feeling all that energy pooling. And I said, let's get her, strip her down, get the energy out, get the tack back on when she's, but I, in the past, I would have thought it would have, I would have had to stay on in order to get through it. Yep. Yep. I, I feel that so much. I feel like that almost happens to me on, on the daily oh. or my friends and, and occasionally, you know, trainers I'm working with laugh at, laugh at me a little bit, um, in a, in a nice loving sort of way, <laughs> but my horse is that way too. He'll tell me something I'll get off and we'll explore it and I'll let him do his thing. And I, I figure it's zero risk because then at, at least, even if he's being a little bit tough that day or whatever, and I can't figure out why, at least I didn't impose myself on him and, damage our relationship. Because if you take a step back, like you did, you allowed them to come back to you and you were part of the solution mm -hmm. versus coming in and being part of the problem. And, and I think sometimes a lot of that is just slowing down and feeling comfortable slowing down mm -hmm. and not letting like other non-existent timelines pressure us into yeah. rushing through things. Yeah. That, and that moment of that feeling where you go, this isn't safe for me right now. Yep. Right. Trust yep. the feeling, but find a solution to making you both feel safe. And then, you know, dealing with the issues that are in at hand, um, without the fear that you are now ruining them without the fear that you are teaching them to do this behavior and you will get off. Or I think there's a lot of, of fear around if I get off, when this is happening, I'm teaching my horse that that's okay. And I think that it's important to, to make sure that we understand that uh, we don't have to sacrifice our safety and we don't have to ignore our instincts in those moments in order to, you know, not teach our horse something that we don't want or, or whatever else. And I love your conversation about the timeline. Let's talk about that a little bit because I know that you and I have spoken about the fact that you, you feel like there, this is sitting on your heart a little bit people really feeling like there's a specific timeline for them? Yeah. I mean, I think especially in the performance horse world, right? We, all of the competitions are based off of age mm -hmm. and we get so used to horses hitting a certain level on a certain timeline. And, you know, there's justification for that timeline in the way that people have to run their businesses. But for the large majority of us, they're irrelevant. They, they really are. And I think it's, it's created this anxiety for a lot of people about what needs to happen with their horse. And in fact, I was riding, I ride at a local arena um, quite often, and usually we're by ourselves. And I, I was riding the other day and this girl pulled in with her trailer and pulled out this horse and she was wearing an AQHA vest. And I was so excited. I was like, okay, I'm going to go try to befriend somebody. We're going to have somebody to ride with. And a horse was just adorable. The, cutest little quiet gelding. And I started talking to her and just wanted to get to know her a little bit, wanted to learn about her horse and asked. And eventually I asked how old he was. And I watched her like physically kind of sink into herself. And she said, oh, he's five. And kind of like her voice got kind of sad and hesitant. And it immediately broke my heart because I know exactly what 
she's going through. You know, Joe will be seven this year, and I'm sure we'll talk about him a bit, but we just started showing last year, and we haven't been to NRHA shows yet. We haven't been to AQHA shows yet, and, you know, I've, she also immediately started kind of going into reasons why he was maybe a little bit green, like, oh, I've done most of the work myself, and it's like, that's great. It's amazing that you are doing the work that yourself, and it's amazing that you love this horse and that you have this connection, and he's going to be with you forever. And we talked about that for a bit as well. And I think, you know, we by ourselves a lot of time value those kinds of relationships, but then we're afraid of, of judgment from the outside world. And I know when I take Joe out, I purposely try to meet that question with confidence, but it's work. Like I always kind of have to mentally prepare myself and say it and then stop myself from being like, oh, but I restarted him two years ago and, uh, and like trying to make excuses because I don't need to make excuses for my horse who is perfectly fine and who I love so much and truly nobody else has to deal with. So who cares? <laughs> who cares anyways, you know? What I've learned with the animals around awareness, around, around self-awareness, but also expanding this idea of awareness are mm -hmm. these four channels of awareness and they are in them unless they're not. If mm -hmm. they're, they're in those awareness channels while they're, if we think just about horses, while they're grazing and foraging and moving. Mm -hmm. And when they're stopped and resting, it's not everyone that's stopped and resting. They're sharing awareness because it's impossible to be in awareness all the time. And it's absolutely okay for us to decide we need a break from awareness. But when we're showing up and doing things with others, we're committing to awareness. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is confusing to our horses because a lot of times we're not. <laughs> yeah. We're showing up, but we're not in awareness. We're focused on them. Mm -hmm. which is one of the channels of awareness, but it's not the whole picture. So mm -hmm. what they're expecting of us because of what they do with each other and actually what we are programmed to be able to do. And this is the piece that we really can work on all the time mm -hmm. and get to a point of unconscious competency, which I think is what mm -hmm. you're referring That's to. Exactly. You don't have to think about it and you just do it. And it's part yeah. naturally part of you. Yes. This is absolutely something we can achieve more easily than you think with practice. Mm -hmm. These four channels are, they're all based around a question that one of my beloved teachers taught me, which is what's happening right now. That's the main question. The four channels are what's happening inside of me, what's happening with you. So that's like, first is our self-reflection, not just our mind, the second one is our empathy system. The third one is what's happening between us, which is our relational space. And then the fourth one is what's going, what is our context? What's going on around us? And that can be in our environmental surroundings, but it can also be time of day, season, predator, you know, it's all the factors that are right outside that are influencing our little zone of relating. Mm -hmm. Our animals are expecting us when we show up and we're all lit up and aware, they're expecting us to be able to hold awareness of all four of those. Mm -hmm. But instead, we're focused on number two, which is what you pointed out, which is what are you doing? And, and there's an element of it. And this is a human component. And what does that say about me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the ego. Mm -hmm. What are you doing right now, horse? 
And what does that mean about me as a horse person? Mm-hmm. And they're very confused about our main focus being just that. It's called The Equestrians Promise a Commitment to Our Equine Partners. I will love you for who you are and not compare our progress to others for every horse and rider has their story. I will watch that you are enjoying our sport as much as I do. Whether I call you my own or share your talents with other riders, I will show you appreciation and respect. I will notice when you are not acting yourself and explore the many possible reasons why to ensure your comfort. When I communicate with you, I will do my best to remain grounded and not allow my emotions to confuse you. It is important to be present. I will watch your limits mentally and physically and will take care not to ask too much of you too fast. I will seek guidance from others for I am always learning just like you. I will do all I can to ensure your longevity And if you are unable to carry me any longer or perform our discipline, I will be sure you are always taken care of. I will never lose sight of what pulled me into this sport in the first place. Love for the horse. So good. You just wait. You wait until you hear my meditation. We are so on the same page. It's not even funny. So, okay. So now tell us what does this mean for other people? So now we know your values. We know the, the kind of thought behind equestrian promise. Now what else? (laughs) So I actually had a a really nice review from somebody who purchased um, the magnet that has the Mm -hmm. promise values um, from my shop. And she was saying how she is riding her horse and she often feels discouraged and gets her, her emotions get in her way. You know, if they don't perform the way that she mm-hmm. wanted to, she gets really let down and discouraged. And she said this magnet had come in the mail for her on a day where she was feeling this and she looked at it and all of that melted away because she mm-hmm. realized this, that's not what it's about. It's about love for the horse we're on a journey together and we're growing together. Mm-hmm. So that's really what it means. It's a reminder of why we got into this in the first place. You know, no one gets into being an equestrian or a rider just for the sake of riding. If you're mm-hmm. seriously into it, you have this passion and this love for the horse. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we forget that, especially, you know, if we may be competing um, or you know, if you're competing, you know, that might get in the way, the competition piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe you have a horse who taught you how to ride um, and is now lame and you kind of forget about them as they're healing through this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a reminder that they're there for you and they've done this for you and you need to be taking care of them. So it's just um, a good way to keep that in the forefront of your mind and all that you're doing as an equestrian. And even since I've written it, it's helped me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, There are times where I get discouraged or I'm dealing with a horse that's having an issue and I get reminded myself that, well, you know, I need to take care of this animal because of what they're doing for me. I find it really interesting that people don't give themselves the grace to take time when they're learning. Like with our horses, if we shape things down and break things into tiny pieces and you understand that process, 
you kind of get acclimatized to going, oh, okay, I'm happy just to ask for one step today or two steps. But it's hard on the other end. If you're teaching a horse and you're learning yourself, you've got to like, um, you've got to be making sure that your energy is in the right place. Your posture is in the right spot. You're applying your cues at the right time. You're doing like five different things when you're just asking your horse for one thing Mm. and you're beating yourself up for not doing it right. And it's just like, it's hard. It's Mm -hmm. really hard. And Mm -hmm. like, it's okay to slow that whole process down for your horse and yourself and just notice the similarities in your horse. Like if you try to combine five different elements with your horse and make it perfect straight away, it it ain't going to work. And it's Mm going to be the same for you too. So yeah, I think it's just through that process of slowing down, which is what a lot of my students start to learn about and they their intention for the week is often patience like because Mm. we're just so ingrained to kind of do things quickly and get to the next step and whatever but then they realize that the slow way is the fast way and not only for their horse but for themselves too like Mm. it just all kind of comes together but yeah it's so interesting that we expect ourselves to be perfect Mm -hmm. in that learning environment especially with things Mm. new um and it's hard To think that when we started, for one, that we're going on 11 years, two women owning a business together. Congratulations. (laughs) Right. And for two, that we own a manufacturing company. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. we never, 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 never. Uh, My dad's worked in manufacturing his whole life. He worked in the car industry. Okay. He warned me to never get in it, you know, that there was a lot of stuff that goes on and it's just kind of that monotonous, you know, over and over. Mm -hmm. And so when we decided to do that, I was terrified because for one, he didn't support us at the beginning. I mean, and that was another thing too, to be very well aware of when you're starting a business, you might not have the support that you need. It might be from your husband, might be from your parents. Or even if you're doing it to relate this to people who aren't running businesses. Yeah to start a new hobby. Yeah. You know, I'm learning to rope. Okay. (laughs) I am 42 and I am learning to rope and you know, the people going, why you're 42, seriously. Like why spend your time doing that? Can't you just go ride? You know, (laughs) know, where's the adventure in that? (laughs) Right. Right. And well, and it's, it's the support factor you know mm-hmm. i mean our husbands are way more supportive now than oh, they yeah, ever absolutely been. so yeah we're not knocking husbands and no, parents. They're, no. But they, had, they didn't have the belief and we so we had to fight through those mm-hmm. things just like right now you know you're you're like no i'm gonna learn how to rope i'm gonna do this and when yeah. she is actually out there and has she's already cut calves and she's mm-hmm. done that and mm-hmm. so it's pretty cool like to see that you know you can take the idea that you're going from standing you know mm-hmm. you're standing there in your driveway roping a dummy to oh my gosh, I'm on my horse and roping the calf, you know, and it's pretty neat, but it's the same thing that kind of transfers into your business. You know, at first you got to believe that you can do those Mm -hmm. things and, and you, you're going to have to, I mean, we, we wrote it on our checks. I just actually ordered a new stack of checks for uh, our Southern location down here or whatever. And I put it back on there about believing is seen. Like Mm -hmm. you are, you are sometimes going to have you aren't going to see it. You're going to have to put it in your brain. You're going to have to put that picture in there Mm -hmm. and believe that you will see it because it's not always so easily laid out. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. 
To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.